had problems finding the farming info you need on the web, we might just have the answer. Simsage delivers information that's very specific and relevant to what you're looking for, and you don't get all those false positives as we call them. And are things getting better or worse for women in agriculture and food, or staying the same? There are issues there, and something that WFA is trying to do is trying to help companies overcome those. Hello, I'm Steve Orchard. We'll also be finding out how last week's virtual farmhouse breakfast suite went. Plus, Sean and Kitter here with agronomy and the markets as usual. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. First couple of items from the news. DEFRA has extended the deadline for its consultation on the ban on live export of stock for finishing by one month. So if you want to have your say on this important topic, you now have until the 25th of February. And the NFU's launched its report on integrated water management, arguing that farmers and growers should have a central role in the better management of water and land to tackle the twin challenges of flooding and drought. Stuart Roberts, Deputy President of the NFU, will join us on next Sunday's programme with the details. Now, I don't know about you, but one thing amongst many that I've missed as a result of the pandemic is the agricultural or country show. Uh, that camaraderie, learning, fun and food, especially the food, can't return soon enough. But where do we stand with this year's shows? Well, sadly, we've already lost some. Suffolk, Royal Berkshire, Monmouthshire, Derbyshire, the British Pig and Poultry Fair, Cambridgeshire, Hadley, the Royal Norfolk and just last week the Royal Welsh have all taken the early but understandable decision to pull the plug for 2021. At the moment, we've still got Lincolnshire, Newark and Notts, the Great Yorkshire, Grassland UK and Rutland, as well as Cereals, the Leaf Open Farm Sunday and Lama now in May. I've spoken to several organisers in the last few days and most say they'll be making decisions during February dependent on the way things are going with COVID-19 and the rules around lockdown. Already Newark and Knotts is down to one day, focusing on the equine and livestock competitions and Lincolnshire certainly won't be as big as usual. Apart from the enjoyment of the show, these events generate nearly £130 million in income and over £14 million in charity funding. We miss them. We need them. And as soon as I've got more information on all this year's shows, I'll let you know on the farming programme. Now, do we have a level playing field in our industry when it comes to gender diversity? How inclusive are we? Women in Food and Agriculture have recently completed their second survey on the subject. How are the results looking? Well, I'm joined by Olivia Midgley, Deputy Editor at the Farmer's Guardian. Olivia, firstly, what were you looking to find out from the survey? Yeah, well, the aims of the survey were to gain an insight into the food and agriculture sector's perceptions of gender diversity, but also to learn how the industry had changed over the last 12 months. And as you know, with 2020 bringing unprecedented challenges, including coronavirus, changing working habits, around the world. The survey was really designed to discover how gender equality has been impacted and we've got some really interesting results and we had over 3,200 participants as well so we uh, uh, coming from 80 countries which is uh, is really pleasing actually. Now in the 2019 survey you say that you unearthed quite a few barriers for women in agriculture but the results showed an optimistic outlook in that survey. Has that continued? Yeah, so I think one of the key things, and I know we spoke about this on the show last time, you know, barriers faced by women is is, is such a big issue. Um, one of those barriers really is lack of female role models, and that if women don't see women like them in those more senior positions, then they feel that they might not be able to 
to, to move up the ladder, for example. Over two-thirds of women agreed that a lack of female role models was a barrier. Um, but interestingly, um, half of men said that that was a barrier. Another issue as well, as we know, is, is this issue of, of equal pay for the same skill and experience. Now, 60% saw you know, lack of equal pay as an issue, whereas obviously men said um, it was 30%. So I think that on that, I think there is obviously a lot of work to do. Um, another barrier was gender bias in the workplace. 68% um, said that gender bias was an issue for them. There are issues there, and something that WFA is trying to do is trying to help companies overcome those because, you know, we, we need to be diverse and inclusive and if we're not seen as that sort of industry then it is going to act as a barrier for for for, for talent to come into the industry Mm, absolutely and following on from your point about um role models for women you also say that only one in three women have a mentor one of the things that came out of our first inaugural event in amsterdam it, it seems such an obvious thing but actually when we spoke to women at the event including me it is quite difficult to find a mentor you might often think that oh well i'd really like that person to be my mentor but you know i don't really want to ask them because they're so busy and they've got such an important job and and i think one of the things that came from from that speaking to women in really high level positions is that you know they want to be seen as uh, as, as someone that can help bring talent on um also not only attracting new people to the industry but also say people who are in those kind of uh, maybe middle management positions who want to climb up to that that senior level mentors are absolutely critical so i think as an industry again we can take a look at ourselves and think well how can we make these mentors uh, more available because we know the value of them um you did say in your report that there's a lot to be positive about such as 64 percent of respondents believe that organization is becoming more inclusive now while that seems positive this figure is actually lower than in 2019 where 79 percent of respondents agreed now we suspect these figures demonstrate a feeling that our industry could do so much more to address issues associated with inequality so it's probably because there's more awareness of the issues and let's face it it's it's just been a year like no other hasn't it and i think these issues have really come to the fore so while it seems it doesn't seem great that obviously that figure's come down i think and i think that we think at wfa that this is on people's agendas right now and this is when we can really um use this momentum to uh, to affect change because you know everybody's talking about it and that is a great thing okay and if somebody wants to get a hold of a copy of the report and have a look at the detail can they do that absolutely so um obviously you can head over to the wfa website um and it's also on Altec's website as well lovely olivia midgley deputy editor of farmers guardian and from women in food and agriculture thanks for joining us on the program thank you sean sparling's here now with some timely agronomy advice morning sean you said a few weeks ago you wanted a hard winter has it been hard enough this week yes a very good morning to you steve yeah we'll come on to the weather in a minute because that's pretty much all we've got to talk about there's very little going on on the land because of how wet it is but i think the highlight of my week this week was to see a kelvin helmholtz instability wave in the cloud formation and that's like a straight line and on top of that straight line in the cloud there was six or seven things which appeared to be breaking waves and thanks to james acrell for telling me that's what it's called it's quite rare i understand in the northern hemisphere to see one of those things all to do 
with atmospherics, but it just goes to show that Mother Nature has always got something she can show us that we've never seen before. Um, so if you want to see what it looks like, um, go on to my Twitter feed, at SAS Agronomy, and you'll see the photograph of it that I posted there. So, back on to the weather then. Minus 5.8 I registered at home, uh, Sunday into Monday morning, and that's cold enough to start taking out some of these aphids. Um, but just one minus six, it's probably only going to do the ones that have got a limp or the old arthritic ones, but it will have taken some of the aphids out nonetheless. But it, it wasn't that cold once I got across to Lincoln around 20 past seven on Monday morning. It was closer to minus four than minus six. So we'll see what comes next because we really do need a few consecutive minus sixes or below to start sorting out the underlying aphid population. Um, and that's the reason really that last year was such a bad year for us in terms of viruses being spread by aphids in sugar beet and potatoes in particular because we didn't get a hard winter. We didn't get those frosts. We got maybe half a dozen frosts and the coldest it got to with me was just below minus one. So we didn't have the weather to kill them off and unaffected by the lack of winter, those aphids started setting off mid to late April. By early May, they were invading and, and putting their young on the leaves of sugar beet. But the predators like the ladybirds, lacewings, hoverflies, they really didn't appear until early June. And by then it was too late and the rest is history. Now, obviously, we have a neonicotinoid uh, seed dressing derogation in sugar beet, which is a non-flowering crop where bees rarely visit, let alone forage. Um, but that seed dressing derogation will depend upon what the aphid forecast is later on next month. So we have to wait and see. One thing you can be absolutely sure of, and that is that frosts will play a big part in this season with regards to aphids one way or another. Now at home so far this month I've registered 92.7 millimetres of rain um, and fields went from being so frozen on Monday morning that you couldn't get the drill in the ground to being so wet by Tuesday afternoon you couldn't even put the drill on the field but it is that time of year. I mean we've got February field dike to, to come. That doesn't mean it's going to be a wet month February but we do need the rain at this time of year to fill the aquifers and get the ditches running to sustain us through what could be a dry March, April and May as we've seen for the last two seasons anyway. So what I'm doing at the moment is I'm making my plans as to where the pre-emergence herbicides are going to be needed. I'm sorting out those recommendations on farms where we have grass weed issues, particularly in the spring cereal rotation. But in the main, the land that's going to drill first has no such issues anyway, so there's no panic on that. Um, also remember that just because we saw very little black grass last year in the spring cereals, despite them being on some pretty black grassy fields in on several of my farms, that does doesn't mean that the black grass has gone away so keep your eyes open and stay wide awake really can't really see much drilling happening over the next week or so anyway so as i keep saying get your nmaxes your nutrient management plans your integrated pest management plans your stock records and all those other records up to date while the weather's like this because as we hurtle into february if you haven't got your curb on by the way you're too late now um we're one month down with 11 months to go there's an awful lot to do so it's onwards and upwards then let's see what the next seven days bring thanks as ever sean have you ever been looking on the web for technical information on a farming matter literally millions of results half of them probably not what you're looking for how do you find the right needle in the google haystack a new tech solution may be able to help sean wilson co-founder of simsage thanks for joining us on the farming program this morning tell us a bit about simsage simsage um, is an intelligent search tool so if, if we think about uh, how we all use Google for the internet, what this is is an intelligent search tool powered by artificial intelligence, which is more business or organization specific. 
Um, we, we all know and love Google, but once we get inside an organization, um, the challenge is that we, we're using terms and language and acronyms in a particular way, and we all know the challenge of going onto things like government websites where we're confounded by a lot of, a lot of information that doesn't always make sense. So we, we seek to make sense of, uh, of this for, for our customers. Now, you quoted in the information that you sent through to me the example of artificial insemination. So I had a look on that this morning. It came back with 7.2 million results, some of which were adverts, and then there was a lot of information about things, nothing what's to do to, to do with agriculture. So is this what you're aiming to do, to narrow down the results of the searches based on what the user actually wants? That, that's correct, Steve. I mean... Um Time is important to all of us, and, uh, and particularly to farmers or other people who are out on the road or in the fields. Um, when they want information, they want very specific information really quickly. So I use the uh, acronym AI in terms of um, artificial intelligence, and of course to farmers, that's of no use at all. When they look at AI, they're looking at artificial insemination. So it's more than that. I mean, if, if you're looking for skin diseases, you're looking for animal skin diseases, not eczema in children. So yes, you're spot on. SimSage um, delivers information that's very specific and relevant contextual um, to what you're looking for. And, and, and you don't get all those false positives, as we call them. So how does it actually work? How do I access your service? Do I go online? Is there an app or how does it work? Sure, there's, a, there's an app. So um, SimSage works two ways. We either put it inside organisations. If you, if you think of all the information now that's on the World Wide Web, that's really comparable to how information is growing inside organizations of any size and type now. And we all use multiple systems inside, inside an organization. So as much as SimSage can uh, quickly cut through all that and, and, and help uh, staff within organizations. Two, we put, it on the, we put it onto websites and it gets downloaded as a plugin from uh, the WordPress app store onto, onto websites. So we, we've worked with Glass Data to get it working on their uh, knowledge base and we're working with Farming Health Hub at the moment. We've done a wonderful research project last year with the Rural Business School, we'll have the Dutchy College. And, and so it's going up onto, uh, you know, onto more websites almost daily as we speak. So I, if I as a farmer want to make use of your service, do I go and subscribe to you or how does that work? What's happening at the moment is, is we're working with Farming Health Hub as a follow-on to the Rural Business School um, project. Farming Health Hub is setting up uh, their new website. They're in the process of doing that at the moment. Um, there will be a search box on their website um, and uh, farmers will be able to go onto their website to look at information about um, you know, personal or uh, well-being health or um, the health of their, the, the farms or, the, uh, or their animals. And, and Farming Health Hub is keen to be working with others and is working with others in the agricultural sector to build out that information. So that, that site, will, we're hoping, will be live in the, in the next few weeks. But similarly, we're looking to work with other agricultural organisations who want to provide information to their constituency through, um, through a clever search on their website. So we're happy to talk to anybody that's, that's interested in doing it. And from a farmer's point of view, is there a cost for this? No, because that course, it would be whoever owns the uh, the, the website. Um, you know whether they ch they choose to uh, charge uh, charge a cost to the, the people. Well, I mean most people don't on their websites. Most of these are community interest type websites that we're working with at the moment. Great stuff. So uh, where can we find out more information about this? 
So um, we've got a website which is um, um, simsage.ai. Simsage is S-I-M for Mike, S-E-G for Gordon, E. And we'd be happy to talk to uh, anyone who's uh, interested in helping their constituency to more easily find, you know, real, really good, relevant information. There is so much information out there. It's very difficult to find exactly what you're after. And so, so many times the information that you're looking for is buried in a mountain of search results. So anything that can help has, uh, has got to be good. Sean Wilson, founder of SimSage, thanks for joining us on the farming programme this morning. Thanks, Steve. That's, that's great. Thanks very much. Is there anything better to start the day than a good old farm breakfast? Last week it was Farmhouse Breakfast Week, a regular feature on the Lincolnshire Agricultural Society calendar, where they teach primary children the benefits of breakfast and about the journey from farm to fork. Like so many things, not possible this year. However, there's always a way around a problem. Rosie Crust is the Education Development Manager for the Society. What did you do? So what we've um, done, we've got a really good bank of resources together for the schools. Um, so the schools could choose what three of ten activities with a focus on pork, bread and eggs. And basically we've delivered to the schools in advance of when they were doing it, a resource box um, full of all the lovely ingredients to, um, you know, to make their chosen activities, which have been kindly um, supported by Waitrose and Ladies in Pigs. And then alongside the ingredients, schools have also accessed um, lesson plans, um, teacher guides, some supporting documents and PowerPoints, um, and then also videos. So we've provided them with videos of um, chefs cooking the um, the breakfast recipes for them to follow within school and then also some supporting videos of um, for example on pig farms and arable farms so supporting videos for the whole farm to fork process as well now you mentioned ladies in pigs here's debbie wilson chairwoman of ladies in pigs what's your involvement been what we've done as an organization is provided real life ingredients so the schools are actually cooking in school and making the recipes that we've provided along with uh, Scamans Eggs as well. They're part of the activity we're doing. And we've also provided high-quality virtual resources so that the children have got activities to do. And has it really been that difficult doing this virtually rather than physically being with the children? By doing it virtually, compared to our real-life experience that we normally do, we've managed to reach more schools Sometimes, because it's a morning activity, there's only so many children you can see when you do a real-life activity. So this is the best of both worlds, that they're getting to do a real cooking activity, but more schools can be involved. I mean, it's it's such a good thing for the children to get a a basic understanding of where their food comes from and how it's put together and enjoy a healthy breakfast, because that's important as well. We tend to forget in these days of homeschooling and we're not following a normal routine, the importance of getting a good start to the day food-wise. Yeah, I mean, definitely the breakfast is the most important meal of the day it sets you up for the day so you've got the energy to do your um if you're in school for the key work with vulnerable children if not home learning you know if you're learning if you're playing so it's, it's so important that they have a, a healthy and nutritious breakfast and also the um the breakfast recipes that we've been cooking with the children this week have used some really simple lincolnshire um products so you know you can recreate at home without too much cost Brilliant work, 10 out of 10, from Rosie Crust and the team at Lincolnshire Agricultural Society. And, of course, Ladies in Pigs, Scalen's Eggs and the schools and parents supporting Farmhouse Breakfast Week. Time to head to the markets now. Open Fields' Kit Dickinson has our weekly report. Morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve. 
Markets tumble from recent highs with Southeast Asian hedge fund profit taking pre the Chinese lunar holiday season. Well, this is the most plausible explanation for it. The market proceeded to recover some of the losses from early last week, with buyers returning to the market to take advantage of the price break. Notably, Algeria, who took their recent purchases to around 1 million metric tonnes. This is expected to be shipped from the EU, which is business they don't need, following another week where the wheat exports far exceeded their maize imports, which is unsustainable if the EU is to avoid a black hole in their balance sheets. China returns to the market again this week, if they ever left, mopping up a volume of US soybeans and 2 million metric tonnes of US maize announced under the daily USDA reporting system for sales exceeding 100,000 tonnes. China's activity appears to be taking place in plain sight, although when commentators are drawing comparisons and posing the question, was the Southeast Asian hedge fund selling the connection to a large Chinese purchase this week? They have also recently bought 200 million gallons of US ethanol, at least 700,000 tonnes of Australian wheat, despite the ongoing trade tensions between the two countries. China have reportedly built their hog herd back to 97% of pre-swine fever, housing them in state-of-the-art industrial hog condos, as one reporter described it, which should make controlling another virus outbreak easier in the future. Russia finally confirmed their export tax on old crop at €25 Euros starting in the middle of February to the end of February and €50 Euros from the 1st of March to the 30th of June. There has been a mad rush to export wheat prior to the tax coming into force, with media coverage of 20-kilometre-long lorry queues waiting at ports and up to 70 vessels winging their way into coastal ports of various destinations. There is still talk of a floating tax on Russian new crop, which is unlikely to encourage the farmer to sell his old crop and, depending on the outcome, may have a bearing on how much of the 12 million hectares of Russian spring wheat gets planted. Russia, China, managed fund money are all wild cards with most of the action played out on all derivative markets, making physical trading a real lottery at the moment. Looking forward to barley, old crop markets still see little change in the domestic consumer as they remain uncertain over demand in the short term, with malt stocks building as brewers reduce offtake. Small volume trade is being done as and when fixings are issued, either for those who are short or need replacements for quality issues. Firm feed barley values still give a floor to the values, however premiums are very ad hoc depending on variety, quality and indeed location. It is likely that the situation will remain for the rest of this campaign. Looking forward to new crop however, a little more positive with trade being done this last week signalling there is at least some light at the end of the tunnel and reflects the brewers are getting back to a normal pace, hopefully at the back end of this year. Oilseed rate markets continue to see gentle recovery following the sell-off late last week, which hit most commodities, equities and financial indices. As news broke of the further African swine flu outbreaks in China and more virulent COVID mutations, a risk of sentiment hit the global marketplace. More specifically, welcome rains have been falling in South America, leading to one analyst to increase the soybean production. However, that rain is now delaying harvest and for the Brazilian soybean crop, which could see a further demand to switch to US, which this season the US can ill afford. Coupled to which, there have been additional old crop purchases of soybeans by China this week and US export data is eagerly anticipated. Domestic market values reduced on the back of external market influence and the pound firmed. This was also calculated earlier in the week. However, with little cash trades taking place, values have steadily retraced as the week has progressed. So, prices this week. Feed wheat for February is 206 to 208. 
March 207 to 209, and May 209 to 211. November new crop, 160 to 162. Milling wheat premiums are currently £20. Barley, feed barley 162 to 164 for February, March 164 to 166, May 166 to 168, November new crop 143 to 145. Malting barley premiums are unchanged with a 185 at £10 and a 165 at £20. And finally, looking forward towards seed rate. 377 to 379 is the flat price from February now all the way through until May. And November new crop is 347 to 349. Thank you, Kit. That's Kit Dickinson from Open Field. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Mostly cloudy but dry today and tomorrow with a light easterly breeze keeping temperatures no higher than 3 or 4 Celsius during the day, down to 1 degree overnight. Some heavy rains expected Monday night, once again lows of one degree, but warming up a little on Tuesday with low pressure bringing brisker winds, starting southeasterly, veering to the southwest during the day and a high of around 8 Celsius. Mostly dry and calmer through the middle of the week, but more heavy rains likely Thursday and Friday. Easterly breezes picking up again to end the week, warmer Thursday, but cold again for Friday and the weekend. Well, that's it for this week's farming programme. I'm Steve Orchard. Next week, we'll talk water, pigs and sugar, plus all the news from the week in agriculture. Until then, stay safe, stay positive and have a good farming week.